Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on an overcast day in a rather deserted city of Westminster as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Richard Woolley. Richard is the Managing Director of Shreddies Limited, a Leicestershire-based company which produces a range of garments including flatulence filtering underwear. Uh, Richard, welcome to the programme and it's great to have you on the air with us today. Good morning, how are you? Um, absolutely fantastic. As good as can be working from home with the COVID-19 situation, of course. Um, it's extraordinary times, um, isn't it, Richard, I have to say? Yes, obviously we've never really seen anything like this before in our lifetime and, and hopefully we won't see anything like this again. But um, yeah, it's certainly very challenging. Absolutely. Now, the purpose of this podcast, first and foremost, and we will come back, of course, to uh, the current COVID-19 situation later, um, but the purpose of this is to gather a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. So what I'd like to know is what that word leader actually means to you personally, first and foremost. Uh, well, it's, it's a very broad word, um, you know, what, what makes a good leader. Uh, and for me, I think it's all about communication. Um I'd, I'd like to think that, you know, my, my employees think of me as approachable, uh, understanding, a good listener, and somebody who also accepts feedback from them as well, if they can think of a solution to a, a problem uh, that, that is better than something I've come up with. I will always listen to that. So you would say that your own leadership style then is very people-orientated, very focused on the team, as it were. Yes, I don't believe that you should be uh, dismissive or kind of um, not listening to, to the team's ideas and their input. They feel more valued if you, if you do listen to them, if you do let them have an input in the business. Uh, and then it kind of helps the business to grow because then they've got kind of an interest in the business. They're, they're actually looking for ways to improve things. I think it comes back to that word humility, doesn't it, from a leader? It's not necessarily always just leading from the front, but also getting on a level with your employees, making sure that you are very much listening to them. And also you value them because you want to nurture the best out of them. But also as a leader, you have to recognize that you're not on your own. Um, You have a team around you and they also will in some ways be getting the best out of you as a leader as well. Yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. Um, it, it, again, it's not just a case of like sort of you, you and them. It's, it's, it's you're in it as a team, um, and an important aspect of that is their mental well-being as well. So it's it's very important for me to understand uh, an employee's state of mind. So they might not be having a particularly good day at work. I won't hold that against them because it might be something external from work that is creating their mood or affecting their work performance and if after a couple of days it hasn't improved then I'll invite them in for a chat make sure there's nothing wrong or if there's anything they need to get off the chest they can talk to me about it. I think that understanding of human psychology Richard is hugely important and especially for maintaining good communication and instilling a positive company culture as well and that's especially important in the current situation as well isn't it where we're not in one workplace together. We are working remotely in a lot of cases. So maintaining contact and making sure that people are mentally in the right place, it's integral, isn't it? Absolutely, yes. And, and again, that just comes back to communication again. Uh, we're in such uncertain times at the moment that a lot of people just want to know what the latest is. 
uh, whether that's, you know, statistics on the TV or whether it's, you know, more personal to them, what's happening within the company they work for, what are their thoughts, what are their plans, what are they trying to do. So again, every couple of weeks, I'm just calling up every member of staff, talking to them about what we're doing, what we're trying to do, and when they're likely to come back to work. Absolutely. And it can be difficult to look at the long term in the current situation, even as a leader, can't it? Because there is so much uncertainty. And in many ways, business is having to kind of take a lead here because it can't wait for the government to say what is happening. Business has to be able to plan to essentially recommence operations, reopen within the next maybe two, three months, worst case scenario. And then perhaps if it turns out to be a little bit earlier than that, then it's a bit of a bonus, isn't it? But leaders have really had to be proactive during this time. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we've all kind of had to adapt uh, to the current uh, climate. It's it, like it, it, it's not something you can plan for, but you, you have to be as proactive as possible. You have to look at many different sort of scenarios of, of, okay, if this happens, then we'll do this. If this happens, then we'll do this, but being ready to act on that before the government kind of makes those decisions. It's that balance between being proactive and being reactive, isn't it? Because being reactive is important to be able to make quick but measured decisions based upon changing guidelines and changing circumstances, I suppose. Um, And if you look at the um, sort of UK lockdown situation, you can see that I think we were a little bit more reactive in that sense, um, in a certain way, because we, of course, went into lockdown and imposed the much stricter measures that we're living under now on the 23rd of March. For the benefit of the listeners, we are recording this episode on um, April 30th, so we've been in the lockdown for well over a month now. Um, And then you look at the Italians. um, Giuseppe Conte, for example, had Italy in lockdown from as early as March the 9th, I believe. Um, If we take sort of those contrasting approaches away from crisis and away from politics for a moment, Richard, um, do you think that it's better as a leader to take a proactive dive in, get on top of difficulties as soon as possible when they arise? Or would you kind of take a little bit of a backseat, see how matters tend to develop and then take action from that point? Uh, I guess I'm I'm somewhere in the middle, really. Uh, (laughs) It's very good, obviously, hindsight, isn't it? Um, Mm. But you kind of do sometimes have to, to look at the situation to see how it is playing out before you kind of make a rash decision. Um, I mean, if we're, if we're talking about the two countries in particular there, if England had gone into a lockdown, let's say, uh, the week after Italy, most people would have been then questioning why we went into lockdown so early. Mm. And now, now we would be almost in our eighth week. And we'd be no further along in terms of um, coming out of it. Um, so it's kind of, it, it's a very, very tricky situation. And, um, you know, I'm sure very, very many people are involved with the planning of that. But it's, um, it's a very tricky subject. It certainly is. And it highlights as well this um, important thing that one has to remember that when you are a leader, you are very much in the firing line for criticism for whatever decisions you make, aren't you? You are there to be shot at. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, ultimately the, the book stops with you, really. You, you know, if you're the one making the decisions, if you're the one signing off on them, then you have to live by them. So if you get them wrong, you have to own up to them. Mm, I think that's absolutely right. And um, it's important to remember as well that 
it's not necessarily possible to develop as a leader without trying things and making mistakes and then we're learning from those mistakes I suppose isn't it yes absolutely and not getting disheartened when you make mistakes or if somebody gives you negative feedback just use it as a positive and think okay well I won't make that mistake again I'll I'll learn from that and and kind of develop it as a person and do you think maybe there's a little bit of a fear among younger generations of failure and criticism, whereas maybe we should be telling them to be willing to embrace failure a little bit more and learn from that? I, I do think that is uh, very uh, sort of present in uh, younger generations, that they're kind of less uh, likely to go out and try things and to make their own mistakes for fear of criticism. Um, and I think that's just a society change over the last sort of 10 years or so. So based upon your experience sir, then, Richard, if you were to offer some advice to that younger generation of emerging leaders who will be taking on those roles in the next uh, five, 10 years, what sort of advice would you give them? Just don't be afraid, you know, take a risk now and again. If you get it wrong, get it wrong. But the world is going to keep on turning. Um, just, just keep trying keep persevering yeah i think that's very very sound advice indeed and we talked a lot of course about your experiences there richard and your own sort of model of leadership as it were um but what have been some of the influences do you think behind that style of leadership that you've developed um i think well personally i've come from uh, a chef kind of background i was a trained chef for 20 years uh, working in a, a number of local restaurants and, and dessert companies before uh, a knee injury kind of forced me to quit and sort of get an office-based job in 2008. So I've experienced working in close proximity with a number of head chefs who have had a number of these key skills that I've then looked back on um, as I've progressed through my career and just thought, okay, who do I really respect as a manager and why? And what did I like about that their style of management? And I've tried to take all of the positives that I've learned from each individual manager and try to kind of mold my own management style based on a collective um, kind of group of uh, skills from from previous uh, head chefs and and, uh, managers, really. It's it's, um, certainly interesting because um, I think some of the greatest influences um, in life uh, can be those people who take on sort of manager or mentor roles for people throughout their life, as opposed to what one might conventionally think of as being a leader. um, So in that sense, it would be people who were in the public eye, people who were politicians, wouldn't it? Because I think we do have a tendency in this country to think of leadership as being associated with celebrity, whereas that's not necessarily the case, is it? You have some fantastic leaders and fantastic mentors who are working within the business environment and just going about um, their day as normal. Yeah, absolutely. I'd go kind of even further back. It kind of the first kind of um, exposure you get to good leadership is uh, at school. Mm. You you will all, I think every person in, in the country will always have a favorite teacher at school. Now, if you think about why they were your favorite teacher, there'll be some leadership qualities there that you didn't realize they had at the time. And that's what made them your favorite teacher, whether it was control of the classroom, whether it was a way of teaching each uh, person individually, whether it was their their approach to the lessons. Um, but yeah, I'd go 
go go back to to school as being the first exposure to to kind of um, good leadership, really. And it's those sorts of leaders within our schools and within our businesses that maybe sometimes go a little bit under the radar, isn't it? Because of that tendency towards celebrity, as I've sort of mentioned. Yeah, already. I mean, again, this generation kind of look up to celebrities as leaders and um, they tend to uh, really focus on on that kind of aspect of celebrities must be doing well, that they've got to have some sort of leadership qualities and they're so uh, impressionable. Mm, I think that's absolutely right. And um, if we do think about the future again, uh, Richard, before we do uh, wrap things up um, on today's programme and the next generation, um, what do you envision for the next year for your business, not just in navigating the COVID-19 pandemic, but also in emerging from the other side, projecting for the future? And what do you really hope to achieve in that time? Um, well, obviously, the, the pandemic has set us back a little bit. Um, but again, we, we're always looking forward. So hopefully the future for, for Shreddies is to move into a bigger premises as we're currently outgrowing our current one. And to just keep, keep increasing sales and you know making more and more people aware of the brand and, and our products that actually help uh, quite a lot of people worldwide now. And for those people who may well be looking to join the business um, when that expansion does happen, what sort of qualities are you looking at in the people that you're looking to bring on board? I I look for individuality. I look for like a a spark. I want to see something in their eyes that says they're very driven. They want to help the business. They want to learn about the business. They want to get involved and kind of roll up their sleeves and, and not be afraid to give any uh, job that may come their way a go really mm. because I think skills are things that can fundamentally be learned knowledge can also be acquired during one's development in a particular career but some things like that drive like that motivation that has to come from within yes that, that has to be natural I think you're absolutely right, Richard. And we are just about out of time, but um, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure having you on uh, today's programme. And I think for the listeners, it would be absolutely fantastic if in a few months' time, once we start to see the fog lifting on the COVID-19 situation, we can maybe have you back on the air with us to just catch up on how the, uh, the business is doing. But thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on and speak with me today. No problem. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it, Richard. Thanks again so much. Uh, that was Richard Woolley, Managing Director of Shreddies Limited. Uh, coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with 1966 England World Cup hero Sir Jeff Hurst. A former professional striker, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals in his career for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team 
when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you 
that the business is well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially with South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and, of course, your life. But yep. in that era I was involved for six or seven years, he it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time... At, Maybe overly strict for the time. You probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. 
And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out, mm. out. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about it, people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about twenty minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited but just had a, look, had a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Lines, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is- uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it, it, uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think. Um, you, you were a young man when... See, this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches, people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a play, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just... Luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who's just absolutely mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, hmm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.